Welcome to the Equipping Podcast. My name is Karen, and I'm here with my co-host, Nathan. What's up? How's it going? Uh, I'm chilling. Uh, I feel way more excited than you to be here today. (laughs) All right. I mean, I'm totally laid back, ready to have a conversation. This is awesome. Ready to have a conversation. Would you rather me be, like, not chilling? I mean, that's a fair question. Okay. All right. It's all good. Good talk. Good talk. Who are we talking with today? Uh, we're talking to Sean McDowell. This is uh, part two of two, so this is the last one with Sean, and I'm pumped about it. All right, here we go. We've got Sean McDowell back with us this week, and he is a Christian apologist and is a professor at Biola University in, in uh, Southern California, and so we're Super excited to continue our conversation with him today about apologetics. So thanks for being with us, man. Honored to be back. So we talked last time about the state of Christian apologetics and how what the culture was like 50 years ago, how it's changed, the new questions that are being asked today. But I also, and we touched on a little bit last week, but I want to double click on this idea today of how do we do that? How do you have a conversation with a skeptic in a way that pushes forward the goal of providing clarity and allowing the Holy Spirit to really move through the conversation in a way that invites people into deeper conversation and more engagement as opposed to the let's put on the boxing gloves and hit one another kind of argumentative uh, tactic. So when you think about that, what goes through your mind in regard to principles that drive a good, solid engagement with skeptics? Well, I think the first thing is just to, number one, know what we believe and why we believe it. So when we actually have taken the time to think through our convictions, we're able to ask better questions. Mm. We're able to have just a deeper, more thoughtful conversation. The other thing that's helpful is knowing kind of what skeptics believe. So Mm. I've read a few skeptical books. I've watched some of their debates and I've had conversations with them. So Sometimes Christians have uh, faulty assumptions to skeptics and vice versa, and getting beyond those and finding out what people really believe helps with the conversation. Now, believe it or not, for me, if I'm having a conversation with a skeptic, I probably spend a lot more time listening and asking questions than I do just sitting there talking. Yep. And I've spent too much time in my life answering questions that people aren't really asking. Mm. And so it's important to find out, tell me what you mean by skeptic. When did you become a skeptic? Uh, do you find any evidence for Christianity compelling? What do you understand the Christian faith to be? How have Christians treated you? How has your beliefs changed? Do you have any doubts? I mean, there's just a lot of interesting questions mm. you can find out and you realize not all skeptics are the same. In fact, they're not even close to being the same. Right. So really just listen and try to know your stuff and learn it over time. And I think you'll find the vast majority of people are willing to have thoughtful conversations if you just treat them the way you would want them to treat you. So to summarize, you started out by saying, hey, we we need to know what we believe as Christians, but it's also helpful to know what they believe as skeptics. And so uh, help me understand, I've heard it said before that, hey, if you are a Christian, like you need to know God's word, know what you believe, but you're not responsible for understanding all the other arguments that they're coming to you with because you can use the, the Bible to defend whatever you're saying. So how... Like, how do you respond to that, Sean? Are, 
are we expected to know all the arguments on the other side? Or is that just another tool in our toolbox? There's a difference between knowing all the arguments on another side. Nobody can know all the arguments on another side. And trying to charitably understand where somebody's coming from and why, why they believe what they believe, and not having stereotypes to their worldview, I think those are very different things. So I've been in conversation with skeptics, and I find out, you know what, they don't really have a clue what I believe. They have all these assumptions from what they've seen on TV, what they've seen in the news. They don't really have a clue what it means to hold the kind of beliefs that I believe. So when I'm in a conversation with somebody else, I just want to understand what do they believe and why do they really believe it? Mm-hmm. So, so in particular, I've taken the time to read a handful of the leading atheist books. Now, that doesn't mean I understand every individual skeptic, but in conversation with them, when I say, you know what, I've read The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins, and I've read The End of Faith by Sam Harris. There's a sense of like, oh, he, he's taken the time to understand. Yeah. I'm important to him, mm-hmm. and I don't set up straw man to their beliefs. Good. So. I think it just shows to somebody that we care about them. The same with a Muslim or with a Mormon. I have conversations with Mormons at times, and I can say, you know what? I've read the Mormon scriptures. I've taken days of my life, and I've read all of it. I think I kind of understand the scriptures. That speaks volumes to them. Mm-hmm. I think so many Christians are, well, number one, they almost feel like when they are doing evangelism, which, I mean, apologetics is kind of a subcategory of that. When they're doing evangelism with people and somebody challenges them, it's it's almost like they feel the weight of all of Christendom come down on their shoulders. Like, yeah. like if I don't give you the right answer right now, then all of Christianity is going to fall apart. I mean, that's a little bit hyperbolic, but not very much. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, people really do feel that. And so a lot of times when we're having conversations with a skeptic, we're not actually listening to them. We're just using that time when they're talking to try to formulate how we're going to respond. Oh, yeah. And that's not listening to someone. That's using that silence to lock your next bullet so that you can fire away when there's finally silence. Yes, that's so true. I I look at that and I think, hey, my responsibility in these conversations is to take somebody from A to Z. Yeah. And like if I don't get to Z, gotta close the deal. Gotta make the kill. Yeah. I failed if I didn't get them there. And the reality is like, hey, if you're loving them well, if you are listening, you may get them from A to B and that's a win. Yeah. That's so helpful. Yeah. When we are engaging with people and we are listening carefully to them Sean, what are some of those best practices that you use when you're engaging them to move the conversation along? Are there questions you specific questions you ask them or uh, specific tactics that you're thinking about to say like, okay, I'm getting this information because I'm listening. Now, what do I do with it? Walk us through how you do that. Sure. There's a few questions I ask. Number one is just what does the person believe? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's really simple, but Tell me what you mean by skeptic. Mm-hmm. Are you a materialist? Only physical things exist? Or do you actually think there's immaterial things that have somehow emerged out of matter? Mm-hmm. Do you think there's a real right and wrong? Do you think humans have free will? I don't know. I'm just going to ask questions to try to understand what this person believes. Mm-hmm. And then the second question is, why do you believe it? Yep. And I'll listen to the reasons that they give. And the third thing is I'll often try to find, okay, what, what do we have in common together? And then third, just where do we differ? 
So you and I differ over this. Here's the reasons I have for it. You differ. Tell me the reasons you have for it. And I oftentimes will just listen, try to understand. And in the back of my mind, I'm often trying to get below and deeper the surface answers that people give Mm. in the sense that I know there's often a question behind the question. And sometimes that comes with experience. It could be wisdom. It could just be God's leading. But there's a lot of times where people have questions and I've been able to say, you know what? These are great questions. I sense something else is going on. Is it really these questions? Like if I answered these questions, would it really help you be closer to becoming a Christian? Or is there something else that's really blocking you? And I've had people say, you know what? Here's really where it is. And I say, great. Now we know what the issue is. Let's talk about that. Right. So that's where I try to listen to the question behind the question and not just assume you know, you just don't believe in God because you want to sleep with your girlfriend. Although mm-hmm. that's true sometimes. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's not always that simple. And as far as specific questions, I'll tell you one that I really like to ask people. I'd say, okay, you're not a Christian. Would you be willing to tell me about the kind of God you don't believe in? That's good. What is, what is your understanding of the Christian faith? Every single time I've done that, I hear some out of balance or mischaracterization. Yep. Of the Christian faith. Well, it's God who just never answers prayers and enjoys sending people to hell. I've had people say that to me, and I say, What? Well, it's nice to hear you don't believe in that God. I don't believe in that God either. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you are not alone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Can, can I tell you about the kind of God I do believe in? And that's a very non threatening, genuine way to move towards the gospel that I've found effective in many conversations. That's, yeah, that's so good. Because a lot of times we can enter into these conversations and be well, at least for me, be intimidated some by the intellect that people will bring into the conversation. When the reality is most of the time there's an emotional drive that is pushing that intellect forward. And so we have to kind of sweep past the, well, you said that A plus B equals C. This is the argument I'm giving you and understand like, hey, did something happen? Like, what's your past? Like, tell me about your story. Where are you coming from? Mm -hmm. Like, those are more important questions in that moment. Yeah, and, and our apologetic ministry here at Watermark, which I'll give a plug for now, um, if you're listening to this and you do have questions and you're struggling with uh, either your own faith or if you don't yet have a faith, then, uh, man, come see us on Monday nights at Watermark here in Dallas. We meet from 7.30 to 8.30, and it's just an open forum. You can ask whatever you want, and we'd love to engage with you. But I would just say that the times that we uh, do engage with people we're really trying to get to that relational space where I can learn the person's story, where they've come from, the formative experiences that they've had in their life. And and uh, I know, Karen, a second ago, you said a lot of times emotions are like driving that. And and I would agree if by a lot of times you meant all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse my language. Yeah, I meant all the time. <laughs> if by a part of the time you meant all the time. That's exactly yeah. what I meant. <laughs> but it is such a, it's such a complex, I mean, belief and faith is such an intimate, complex thing in somebody's life. You really have to treat it, one, with a lot of respect because this is a person who's loved and made in the image of God and is loved by God. But two, has a really complex story with a lot of different factors that have influenced what they think and feel about who God is, which is why last week I said, well, a lot of times I don't even defend anything. I just yeah. I just tell people when they say wrong things like, but that's not what Christianity is. Right. Well, and it's important to acknowledge that 
the same is true for us on the other side. Yep. Like as a believer, if somebody's sitting across from, from me and saying, your God is a moral monster, your God is mm-hmm. fill in the blank, mm-hmm. like sometimes that can come, become offensive. Yep. And that is what you were talking about last week, Sean, when you're explaining, hey, I was pretending to be this atheist and I had people engage me with questions and they got defensive and angry and their emotions bubbled up to the surface too. And so it's it's on both sides. Yep, yep. Which is why, Sean, getting back to your point initially on at the beginning of this episode is you've got to know what you believe yeah. so that when people are pressing in in those spaces, you're not threatened by it. You're so confident in the God that you know. Yeah, totally. And you've, and you've thought critically about it. Yeah, can't be rattled. Sean, one of the questions I get pretty frequently around here is, hey, you lead Watermark's apologetic ministry. What, what kind of questions do people ask? on a consistent basis. And so I've got my hot sports opinion about it, but I'd love to hear from you. What are you seeing trend-wise in today's culture, just some of the common questions that people are asking or are using to critique Christianity? I'll tell you the common questions that I get tend to be on the intersection of science and faith. Mm. So evolution or some other you know, kind of incarnation of that question, thinking that science and faith are in conflict. Uh, another question is just about the problem of evil and suffering. I mean, that was probably the first question that was asked in the book of Job yeah. chronologically, and it's, yeah, right. it's never going to go away because it's a personal and an intellectual question. Mm-hmm. There's also huge questions today about how can Jesus be the only way? How can Jesus be unique? Can other paths get to God? Because it seems exclusive in a world that values inclusiveness. And then huge questions are tied to LGBTQ issues, same-sex marriage, gender issues, homosexuality, marriage, etc. Those are probably the big categories I get asked on. Now, if you look at Gen Z research, the biggest questions that they have or barriers, number, I forget the exact order, but the top ones were, again, intersection of science and faith, uh, the exclusivity of Jesus, and hypocrisy and bad things done in the name of Christ throughout the history of the church are huge barriers to faith for those who describe themselves as Gen Zers. Typically, when you're faced with questions like that, what's a quick, like, just use one of those questions as an example for our audience who's sitting there going, yeah, I've I've had that question asked to me before. Um, Just pick one of those and just walk them through like, hey, here's how I would respond to this type of question. Well, let me just take the toughest one, which is the problem of evil. Nice. Whenever, whenever somebody <laughs> asks me, you know, how can God allow just evil in the world if God's supposed to be good and powerful? I always ask back, of all the questions you can ask about God, why that one? Mm-hmm. Now, there's a reason I ask that because I want to know if, number one, they just watched Batman versus Superman and the bad guy in that movie actually lays out the problem of evil and describes it yeah. in the film. Yeah, that's right. If the person is... He does, or if the person's in philosophy class and they're debating it, then it's an intellectual question. But the vast majority of the time people say, you know what, I just saw this terrible earthquake, or I saw this war that's going on, or my cousin or my mom has suffering or dying from cancer, whatever it is. Mm. Then you know it's a personal question. Right. And the way you respond to the personal question is pastorally and emotionally and caring. The way you respond to the intellectual question is asking, you know, things about the nature of free will and how evil requires good and good requires God. So on that kind of question, even then interpersonally, I just ask questions to get to the heart of it 
and then try to address it accordingly. Uh, that's great, man. I, again, I think you're you're pressing in on the the relational aspect of the engagement. Is that it, you can't just bring a broadsword to a surgical procedure. You can't just whack people over the head with the right answer. One, you should never whack anybody over the head with, a, with an answer. But two, but but I mean, ultimately, what I'm saying is, you have to pay attention right. to the relational dynamic that's going on in the conversation. When I teach seminars on apologetics, the primary thing that I talk about is you are engaging with someone who is loved by God, who's made in His image, and uh, if they're not yet a believer, then they're held captive by the enemy. And so, viewing it as a I'm engaging with somebody who this is a holy moment. You know, you're not the enemy. You're someone who needs to be to be loved and engaged with the truth in a loving way. And I, I think hearing your response in that that even that question is is really shepherding that person into those spaces where they begin to realize, oh, this is deeper than just my I don't like this idea of God. That's hugely important. Second question for you is where do you think, if, if you and I are having this conversation in 10 years, where do you see the conversation going? You know, traditionally, Christianity is kind of terrible at staying up with, with stuff. We're typically behind, <laughs> behind the curve on things. but Just a little. <laughs> yeah. But where's the conversation headed? What are we going to be talking about in 10, 15, 20 years in regard to the critiques of Christianity? Well, I think as fast as culture is moving with information overload, I don't think anybody knows what's going to happen in 15 to 20 years on almost anything. Touche. I would look at this in two levels. I'd say we will still be talking about the problem of evil. Mm -hmm. We will still be talking about the intersection of science and faith. We'll still be talking about uh, comparative religions because we live in a pluralistic world. There's certain questions that will always be there because of human nature, Mm because the nature of the world we live in. Now, as far as the new questions that might come up, sexual questions are always going to be there. (laughs) That's not going to change because of human nature. Now, how far this LGBTQ uh, question goes, I mean, I have some predictions about where ultimately I think it could be that people who are pushing some of these agendas, especially when it comes to marriage, basically want the state to be able to own children rather than parents. They want to annihilate gender distinctions, and just parenting as we know it. I think that's where a segment of these questions are going. Uh, I think questions of transhumanism, the intersection of humans and technology. Artificial intelligence. Exactly. Artificial intelligence, the ethical questions that arise from that. uh, Those will probably be on on the scene. But I'll tell you this, evidence that demands a verdict is the deity Christ, reliability of scriptures, Mm -hmm. and the resurrection of Jesus. Whether our culture is asking those questions or not, those are the questions we have to bring to the culture. Those questions will not ever change. You're right. Amen, brother. That's so hopeful. We got to remember the resurrection before we start thinking about sexuality. This happens literally every single week in our apologetic ministry is people come in and will ask a secondary or even tertiary question or criticism. And while we'll respectfully address that, 
we're constantly looking to drive people back to the heart of Christianity, which is the life, yeah. death, and resurrection of Jesus. People so. are asking, like, well, what about artificial intelligence? And we got to go, do you know who Jesus is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's an first, order to first. these things. Yeah. <laughs> so, Sean, if people are looking to take a step into the world of apologetics, it can be a little overwhelming. Uh, there's lots of resources. Uh, it can feel just like a big bite to take. And so if if our listeners are looking to get equipped, uh, what resources are you pointing people to who are just getting into this for the first time, besides the book that we've been talking about this mm-hmm. whole time? <laughs> yeah, I would say you could check out the book More Than a Carpenter. Is Basically, my dad wrote that when he was summarizing the evidence demands a verdict and said, if I could sit down with coffee with somebody for two hours and explain who Jesus is and how we know, that's who, what this book is about. So that's the beginning for a non-believer who's open to consider the claims of Christ or a Christian who says, I just want to begin this apologetics quest. And of course, I'm a huge fan of anything Lee Strobel. Mm-hmm. His books, Case for Christ, Case for the Real Jesus, Case yeah. for Grace, Case for Miracles, all of those are such a good place to start because he's a wonderful storyteller. That's good. So I think those two would be great. On my, on my website, seanmcdowell.org, I have a lot of introductory articles people can read. I have some videos, some that are like three or four minutes, uh, some that are two minutes, and then some longer lectures. And I speak a lot to students, so I don't make things simplistic, but I use a lot of illustrations and examples so people go, oh, I understand it. They're written in a way that a non-expert and apologist could really get it and have kind of a soft introduction into uh, what apologetics is. That's great, man. So we we would encourage you guys, number one, we want to take time to invest in this topic to encourage you to if this is an area that you feel ill-equipped in to take steps i mean even if you feel like man i i don't even know where to start then a couple of different things one you can pick up evidence that demands a verdict the updated version that just came out last year um, you can go to sean mcdowell's website seanmcdowell.com uh, you can also go on watermark's website And we have an online class, it's six weeks long, called Answering the Tough Ones, where we walk through a, not just a response, but also um, how to engage with skeptics in regard to some of the top commonly asked questions that are going on in culture today. So there are definitely steps and, and a path for you guys to take, and I would encourage you to check those out. But Sean, man, you've been a huge help for us. So man, we're really grateful for your ministry. We're praying that the Spirit would just continue to use you to push forward the kingdom and are grateful for your work. So thanks a lot, brother. Thank you. Oh, I'm a huge fan of Watermark. Honored you guys would have me on and uh, keep up the good work. There's not a lot of people speaking truth the way you guys are, but who also want to do it with kindness. That's a formula we need, so keep it up. Well, I think it was, I, I didn't come up with it, but somebody said it, and I think it's true that of all of the things that are used as a defense, the greatest apologetic is love. Thank you for listening to the Equipping Podcast. If you like what you heard, then subscribe and tell your friends. And if you have any questions or comments or anything else, please email us at equippingpodcast at watermark.org. Bye. Peace. Peace.